This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of clubfoot, or congenital talipes equinovarus, from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Clubfoot, also known as congenital talipes equinovarus, is a common idiopathic deformity of the foot that presents in neonates. Diagnosis is made clinically with the resting equinovarus deformity of the foot. Treatment is usually the Ponsetti method of casting. Supplemental surgical procedures such as tendo Achilles lengthening and tibialis anterior transfer may be required during the course of treatment to correct residual deformity. Now let's get into the episode. As far as the epidemiology, clubfoot is the most common musculoskeletal birth defect. The overall incidence is 1 in 1,000, though some populations have an incidence of 1 out of 250. The highest prevalence is in Hawaiians and the Maoris. The male-female ratio is approximately 2 to 1. As far as the location, half of the cases of clubfoot are bilateral, and in 80%, clubfoot is an isolated deformity. The pathophysiology of clubfoot involves muscle contractures that contribute to the characteristic deformity that includes cave, that stands for cavus, adductus of the forefoot, varus, and equinus. Cavus is secondary to tight intrinsics FHL and FDL. Adductus of the forefoot is secondary to a tight tibialis posterior. Varus is secondary to a tight tendo Achilles, tibialis posterior, or tibialis anterior. And finally, equinus is secondary to a tight tendo Achilles. A bony deformity consists of medial spin of the midfoot and forefoot relative to the hindfoot. The tailor neck is medially and plantarly deviated, the calcaneus is in varus and rotated medially around the talus, and the navicular as well as the cuboid are displaced medially. With respect to genetics, a genetic component is strongly suggested in clubfoot. Unaffected parents with an affected child have a 2.5% to 6.5% chance of having another child with a clubfoot. Familial occurrence is 25%, and there has been a recent link to PITX1, which is a transcription factor critical for limb development. Finally, keep in mind that a common genetic pathway may exist with congenital vertical talus. Associated conditions with clubfoot include arthrogryposis, diastrophic dysplasia, myelodysplasia, tibial hemimelia, amniotic band syndrome or streeter dysplasia, and keep in mind that upper extremity and hand anomalies are commonly seen in this population, Pierre-Robin syndrome, Opitz syndrome, Larsen syndrome, Prune-Belly syndrome, and finally an anterior tibial artery hypoplasia or absence is common regardless of the etiology of clubfoot. Again, anterior tibial artery hypoplasia or absence is common regardless of the etiology of clubfoot. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. Again, muscle contractures contribute to the characteristic deformity that includes cave, where C is cavus, A is adductus of the forefoot, V is varus, and E is aquinas. Again, because this is a heavily tested point, we'll go over it one more time. Cavus is secondary to tight intrinsics, FHL and FDL. Adductus of the forefoot is secondary to a tight tibialis posterior. Varus is secondary to a tight tendo Achilles, tibialis posterior, and tibialis anterior. And Aquinas is secondary to a tight tendo Achilles. The bony deformity once again consists of a medial spin of the midfoot and the forefoot relative to the hindfoot. The tailor neck is medially and plantarly deviated. The calcaneus is in varus and rotated medially around the talus. And the navicular and cuboid are displaced medially. Moving on to the presentation of clubfoot, inspection on physical examination may reveal a small foot and a calf, a shortened tibia, medial and posterior foot skin creases, 
as well as foot deformities, specifically the hind foot in Aquinas and Varus, which is differentiated from more common positional foot deformities by the rigid Aquinas and resistance to passive correction. Other foot deformities that you may notice on inspection include that the midfoot will be in cavus and the forefoot will be in adductus. As far as imaging, radiographs are often not taken. However, recommended views, if taken, include a dorsiflexion lateral or a turco view and an AP. The dorsiflexion lateral or the turco view shows hind foot parallelism between the talus and the calcaneus. For example, they are less convergent than in a typical foot. On the dorsiflexion lateral or turco view, you will see a talocalcaneal angle of less than 25 degrees, and you may see a flat talar head in older children, but not in infants. On AP, you will notice that the talus first metatarsal angle is negative, where normal is between 0 to 20 degrees. The talus points lateral to the first metatarsal in this condition. The AP view may also show hind foot parallelism. For example, the talus and calcaneus are less divergent than normal. As far as ultrasound, clubfoot is sometimes diagnosed in utero. In the first trimester, it's associated with anomalies including non-musculoskeletal ones, which are very common in children diagnosed with clubfoot in the first trimester. In the second trimester, these are typically true club feet, but associated anomalies are less common. And in the third trimester, if clubfoot is first diagnosed in the third trimester, the false positive rate is higher due to the higher probability of intrauterine crowding. Treatment of clubfoot can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes the Ponsetti method of serial manipulation and casting, as well as the French method of daily physical therapy, manipulation, and splinting. As far as the Ponsetti method of serial manipulation and casting, the Ponsetti method is the gold standard in most of the world. As far as the indications, this is the standard of care for untreated club feet. And with respect to outcomes, the Ponsetti method has a greater than 90% success rate in avoiding comprehensive surgical release. Children can be expected to walk, run, and be fully active in the absence of other comorbidities. The French method of daily physical therapy, manipulation, and splinting is rarely used in the United States. As far as the outcomes, good outcomes can be expected in skilled hands. Operative options for club feet include posteromedial soft tissue release and tendon lengthening, medial column lengthening or lateral column shortening osteotomy or cuboid decancellation, talectomy, multiplanar supramalleolar osteotomy, ring fixator application like a Taylor spatial frame and gradual correction, and finally triple arthrodesis. A posteromedial soft tissue release and tendon lengthening is indicated for resistant and or recurrent feet in young children which have failed Ponsetti casting and bracing. This option is also indicated for rocker bottom feet that develop following serial casting which have failed non-surgical intervention. Posteromedial soft tissue release and tendon lengthening is also indicated for syndrome-associated club feet if casting fails. Keep in mind that when performed, it is often done at 9 to 10 months of age in non-syndromic feet, so walking is not delayed. As far as outcomes of posteromedial soft tissue release and tendon lengthening, this requires postoperative casting for optimal results. Long-term stiffness and pain are relatively common. And keep in mind that the extent of the soft tissue release correlates inversely with long-term function of the foot and the patient. Medial column lengthening or lateral column shortening osteotomy or cuboid decancellation is often combined with initial surgical club foot release in children more than 2 to 3 years old. This may be performed in 3 to 10-year-old children with recurrent deformity and a, quote, bean-shaped foot. A talectomy is indicated in severe, rigid, recurrent club foot in children with arthrogryposis. 
and the age of talectomy is typically 6 to 10 years old. Multiplanar supramalleolar osteotomy is rarely necessary and is considered a salvage procedure in older children with complex, rigid, multiplanar clubfoot deformities that have failed conventional operative management. It is also a salvage procedure in older children 8 to 10 years old with an insensate foot. Ring fixator application like a tailored spatial frame and gradual correction is indicated for complex deformity resistant to standard methods of treatment. Keep in mind that recurrence of deformity is very high after frame removal. Triple orthodesis is almost never indicated and is actually contraindicated in insensate feet due to the rigidity and resultant ulceration. Now let's go over the technique of the Ponsetti method of serial manipulation and casting, as well as the French method of daily physical therapy, manipulation, and splinting in a bit more detail. So the goal of the Ponsetti method of serial manipulation and casting is to rotate the foot laterally around a fixed talus. You can remember the order of correction with the cave mnemonic, where the C stands for cavus, the A stands for adductus, the V stands for varus, and the E stands for aquinas. So the order of correction is 1 cavus, 2 adductus, 3 varus, and 4 aquinas. Remember that a heel cord tenotomy is needed in at least 80 to 90% of children in most series. A foot abduction orthosis, or an FAO, is critical for long-term success. FAO non-compliance is the biggest risk factor for deformity recurrence. FAO use is approximately full-time for 3 months, and then at night, plus or minus naps for 2 to 4 years. So as far as the Ponsetti method in a bit more detail, we'll discuss month 1 to 4, month 4 to 8, and then 2 to 4 years. In month 1 to 4, weekly serial casting with the knee in 90 degrees of flexion with the forefoot in supination, then forefoot abduction is carried out. First, you will correct the cavus with the forefoot supinated, not pronated, by aligning the less varus forefoot with the more varus hindfoot, and keep in mind that pronation would increase the cavus deformity. Second, you will correct adduction and heel varus by rotating the calcaneus and the forefoot around the talus, as the head of the talus acts as a fulcrum, and this will be done into forefoot abduction. Tendo Achilles lengthening at 8 weeks is required in greater than 80-90% to 90% of patients. Aquinas correction will last with Tendo Achilles tenotomy. You will perform when the foot is at least 60 degrees abducted, the heel is in valgus, and Aquinas persists cast in maximal dorsiflexion for three weeks after tenotomy. In months four to eight, a foot abduction orthosis or an FAO is used. This is used 23 hours a day for three months after correction. Nighttime slash nap time use is only used until age four years old. The foot abduction orthosis will hold affected feet at least 60 degrees externally rotated and 30 degrees in the normal foot for unilateral cases. Feet are measured prior to tenotomy, so a foot abduction orthosis is available on the day of post-tenotomy cast removal. Finally, in the 2-4 to four year time frame, tibialis anterior tendon transfer is typically done at 2-5 to five years of age for 30-50% to 50 of patients. Keep in mind that 30-50% to 50 will need tibialis anterior transfer with or without repeat tendo-Achilles lengthening or gastrocnemius recession for recurrent deformity. This is indicated if the patient demonstrates supination during gait. Moving on to the French method of daily physical therapy, manipulation, and splinting. This is divided into the correction phase and the maintenance phase. In the correction phase, daily corrective manipulations of the clubfoot are performed by an experienced physical therapist, and the correction is held with elastic taping and splints until the next day's session. 
Family participation is integral to the success of this treatment program as the family must be able to bring the infant to therapy during the week for one to three months. Keep in mind that each session lasts approximately 30 minutes per foot and manipulations are performed in a progressive gentle pattern. You will begin with derotation of the calcaneopedal block and correction of forefoot adduction through massage of the Achilles tendon and gastrocnemius muscle. Next, medial soft tissues are stretched to allow the navicular to move away from the medial malleolus and its medial position on the head of the talus. Distraction of the forefoot and midfoot helps to loosen the tightened structures and derotation of the foot facilitates reduction of the talus. Next in the correction phase, to maintain the gain achieved in passive range of motion, the toe extensors and perineals are recruited by stimulating or tickling the lateral border of the foot and leg and the tops of the toes. Once the talonavicular joint has been reduced, attention is directed towards the correction of varus and equinus. With the valgus maneuver, the calcaneus gradually moves to a neutral and eventually valgus position. The ankle is externally rotated at the same time that the calcaneus is being mobilized into valgus. The knee should be kept at 90 degrees during these maneuvers. Finally, equinus is corrected with gradual dorsiflexion of the foot. Correction of equinus can be augmented with a percutaneous heel cord tenotomy. And finally, moving on to the maintenance phase of the French method, fewer visits to the therapist are needed in the maintenance phase as the parents assume the daily treatment exercises and taping. Periodic follow-up is needed to monitor the range of motion of the foot and the development of the infant and to fabricate new splints. Once the patient is walking, taping is discontinued, and a resting ankle-foot orthosis is used during nighttime and naps until the age of two years. Throughout this treatment program, the patient visits the physician every two to three months for evaluation of the foot. Finally, let's talk about some complications, specifically complications with non-operative treatment and complications with surgical treatment. Complications with non-operative treatment include deformity relapse, dynamic supination, and rocker bottom deformity. With respect to deformity relapse, this can be broken down into relapse in a child less than two years old and relapse in a child greater than two years old. Relapse in a child less than two years old is usually the result of non-compliance with the foot abduction orthosis. This is associated with lower parental level of education, that is high school education or below, and you will treat these patients with repeat manipulation and casting. Relapse in a child greater than two years old is treated initially with casting. Consider a tibialis anterior tendon transfer in these patients that can be either split or a whole tendon transfer and you can consider repeat Achilles tendon lengthening or gastrocnemius recession for recurrent equinus. Another complication with non-operative treatment can be dynamic supination. You will treat these patients with whole or split anterior tibial tendon transfer where the results are comparable, but a whole tendon transfer was preferred in a previous OITE question over split anterior tibial tendon transfer. Finally, a rocker bottom deformity is another potential complication with non-operative treatment, and this occurs when attempted correction of equinus contracture occurs before a fully corrected hindfoot varus deformity. Dorsiflexion occurs through the midfoot instead of the hindfoot. Moving on to complications with surgical treatment, this includes residual cavus, pes planus, undercorrection, intoing gait, osteonecrosis of the talus, and or a dorsal bunion. Residual cavus is the result of insufficient plantar release and or placement of the navicular in a dorsally subluxed position. Pes planus results from overcorrection, often from extensive subtalar capsular release. An intoing gait is commonly due to internal tibial torsion and or internal rotation of the talus within the ankle mortis. 
Osteonecrosis of the talus results from vascular insult to the talus, resulting in osteonecrosis and collapse. A dorsal bunion is caused by a dorsiflex first metatarsal. Specifically, there is a flexor hallucis brevis and abductor hallucis overpull secondary to weak plantar flexion, and there is also overactivity of the anterior tibialis. A dorsal bunion may be associated with inadvertent perineus longest lengthening at the index procedure. You will treat a dorsal bunion with tibialis anterior lengthening or transfer, FHL transfer to the plantar aspect of the first metatarsal head, and possible plantar flexion osteotomy of the first ray. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic can be tested. First question. If a child develops dynamic supination after treatment of idiopathic clubfoot with Ponsetti casting, at what age would it be appropriate to consider transfer of the tibialis anterior tendon to the lateral dorsum of the foot? And the choices are 1. In the first 6 months of life, immediately following failed cast treatment. 2. 12 months. 3. 4 years. 4. 12 years. And 5. 15 years. The correct answer to this question is 3, 4 years. So tibialis tendon transfer to the dorsum of the foot should be performed to address dynamic supination when the lateral cuneiform has ossified. This is typically after at least 2 years of age and usually not before age 3. The indications for tibialis tendon transfer in the setting of residual clubfoot are poor first-ray ground contact, weight bearing on the lateral border of the foot, and dynamic supination or inversion of the forefoot. Ezra et al. evaluated 27 previously treated club feet in 25 patients whom they treated with anterior tibial tendon transfer. All patients at follow-up demonstrated active contraction of the transfer tendon, none had dynamic supination, and none had overcorrection. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1 in the first 6 months of life immediately following failed cast treatment is incorrect as this procedure is indicated in walking children. Answer 2, 12 months is incorrect, as this does not allow enough walking time or ossification. Answer 4, 12 years, and answer 5, 15 years are both incorrect, as residual clubfoot should be treated before this age. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following is true regarding the Ponsetti method of treating idiopathic talipes equinovarus? And the choices are 1, equinus is the first component of the deformity to be corrected. 2. Correction of the severe varus deformity of the hind foot is accomplished with pronation of the whole foot into valgus. 3. Short leg cast immobilization is utilized. 4. The plane of the metatarsal heads should be turned into supination with the first cast. And 5. The need for a percutaneous Achilles tenotomy can be expected in 20% of cases. The correct answer to this question is 4. The plane of the metatarsal heads should be turned into supination with the first cast. So forcible pronation of the clubfoot increases cavus deformity and causes a break in the midfoot, failing to control the hindfoot. It therefore leaves the hindfoot varus uncorrected. Supination is the initial forefoot manipulation aligning the metatarsals in the same plane. The Ponsetti casting method for the treatment of congenital clubfoot corrects deformity by addressing cavus, forefoot adductus, hindfoot varus, and lastly, Aquinas. You can remember this using the CAVE mnemonic, C-A-V-E, where C stands for cavus, A stands for adductus, the V stands for varus, and the E stands for Aquinas. Cavus is corrected by apparent supination, which actually brings the forefoot into alignment with the hindfoot. 
Once the metatarsals, cuneiforms, and navicular are in the same plane, they can be used as a lever to laterally displace the navicular on the talus. Ponsetti reviews the principles of treatment of clubfoot, and in his experience, Achilles tenotomy is required in 70% of patients and is performed when 15 degrees of dorsiflexion is not attained with casting. Combined with Achilles tenotomy, Ponsetti reports 85-90% to 90% success with manipulative casting of club feet. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, Aquinas is the first component of the deformity to be corrected is incorrect, as Aquinas is actually the last deformity to be corrected. The heel must be in valgus prior to this correction. Answer 2, correction of the severe varus deformity of the hind foot is accomplished with pronation of the whole foot into valgus is incorrect, as attempts to correct varus by forefoot pronation will exacerbate cavus and lose control of the hind foot. Answer 3, short leg cast immobilization is utilized is incorrect, as toe to groin casts are the mainstay of Ponsetti casting. Finally, answer 5, the need for a percutaneous Achilles tenotomy can be expected in 20% of cases is incorrect, as actually Achilles tenotomy is utilized in 70% of cases. Moving on to the next question. A 3-year-old boy has been treated in the past with Ponsetti casting, now presents with dynamic supination during gait. You're planning to perform an anterior tibialis transfer to the lateral cuneiform. All of the following are true, except... And the choices are 1. This transfer is required in 10-20% to 20% of children who undergo the Ponsetti treatment. 2. Weak perineals are counteracted by overpull of the anterior tibialis. 3. Grade 4 or 5 strength of the anterior tibialis is needed prior to transfer. 4. Subtalar rigidity supplements the transfer. And 5. Dynamic supination includes foot supination during swing phase and landing on the lateral foot border during stance phase. The correct answer to this question is 4. Subtalar rigidity supplements the transfer. So the patient has dynamic supination as a result of overpull of the anterior tibialis in relation to the perineal tendons. During the Ponsetti casting, cavus is corrected by aligning the first ray with the remaining metatarsals. Next, abduction of the forefoot using the lateral tailor head as a fulcrum corrects the forefoot adduction and hindfoot varus deformities. At least grade 4 strength is needed prior to transfer to ensure that dorsiflexion of the foot will be preserved. Subtalar rigidity is a contraindication to anterior tibial tendon transfer. And moving on to the final question. A 5-year-old boy has a history of being treated with a Ponsetti technique for a unilateral club foot. What muscle most commonly causes a dynamic deformity in the swing phase of gait following Ponsetti casting? And the choices are 1. Tibialis posterior. 2. Tibialis anterior. 3. Gastrocnemius, 4. Perineus longus, and 5. Perineus brevis. The correct answer to this question is 2. Tibialis anterior. So in clubfoot patients older than 12 to 18 months, a dynamic swing face supination deformity may develop as a result of medial overpull of the anterior tibialis tendon. Incomplete reduction of the navicular onto the tailor head results in changing the anterior tibialis muscle from predominantly a strong dorsiflexing to a strong supinating force. If uncorrected, this may lead to dynamic deformity during the swing phase of gait. The study by Ippolito et al. found that at long-term follow-up, children treated with Ponsetti's manipulation technique and cast immobilization followed by an open heel cord lengthening had better outcomes than those that underwent the Ponsetti technique and extensive posteromedial release. The study by Quo et al. reviewed 71 feet who had residual dynamic clubfoot deformity that underwent either split or complete anterior tibial tendon transfer. 
Both treatments resulted in increased dorsiflexion and eversion range of motion, eversion strength, and correction of forefoot adduction and supination. They concluded there was little clinical significance between the two surgical approaches. The article by Ponsetti describes his method for the treatment of congenital clubfoot deformity. The cavus deformity is corrected by supination of the forepart of the foot. The varus deformity of the hind foot is corrected with displacement or lateral rotation of the navicular together with the cuboid and the anterior aspect of the calcaneus without pronation of the foot. The foot position is maintained in a toe-to-groin plaster cast with the knee flexed 90 degrees and the foot in maximum external rotation. The equinus is corrected last by dorsiflexion of the foot with the heel in valgus angulation. A tendo Achilles tenotomy can facilitate correction of equinus. To decrease the risk of recurrence, a Dennis Brown splint is utilized full-time for several months and then converted to part-time wear. That's all for this review about clubfoot, or congenital talipes equinovarus. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.